So about two weeks ago until the NFL draft, there's so much going on. We just dropped a lot of really cool graphics on the social media pages. So go check those out. Joe and Max Smith just had the opportunity to sit down on Monday night and record a sleeper slash overhype prospects YouTube video. Go check that out because that should be out hopefully by the time you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday morning. But what's up, guys? Welcome to the Fireside Bears podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. You can follow myself on Twitter at Usaid Kosho. Follow my co-host Sam Stevenson and Joe Herf on Twitter at Chai Sports Sam and at Joseph Herf NFL. Make sure you're dropping a five-star review and rating on this podcast. We've been growing so much over the last couple weeks that we want to first take some time out to say thank you to all you guys for your continued support. Y'all are the reason that we continue to have great podcasts. Tonight, Joe snacking on quesadillas. I've got my smoothie here. And then I have no idea what Sam had for dinner, but he's probably had those trolleys candies sitting on his desk or in his desk drawer. But gentlemen, how are we doing today? Good. Uh, I don't have any trolley candies. Um, I've been eating. I tweeted about it. There's my... I've been eating more Mike and Ikes on road trips. And it's a very... I think underappreciated candy. Um, I had a chicken sandwich for dinner, so nothing exciting with that, but it was good. Uh, shout out, shout out to my mom. Good chicken sandwich. Uh, but uh, all good in the realm of what we need to talk about, and uh, I think it's going to be a good show tonight. So, uh, doing well. Joe, I know you just got back from wrestling practice, so. Yeah, I'm a little tired. Tuesdays are my tough day, so I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to be powering through this podcast episode today with uh, I was up super late watching the new season of Better Call Saul just dropped on Sunday or Saturday this weekend in general so I'm almost done now I've got I watched all the way till about one in the morning yesterday when I had to be up at six for work so I'm struggling today it's gonna be a rough one well it doesn't help that you're also watching football at work um well, soccer tournaments well, soccer, soccer. The rest of the world calls it football, but yeah. So you you, you could technically say you're watching football at work too, but um, hey, I had it on my second monitor. Thank you very much. Yeah, you posted on your Snapchat story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, pretty pretty interesting stuff too. I'm excited for the World Cup coming up. I think it's gonna be the first time in anyone's lifetime that the World Cup and the NFL season, along with the NHL. And the NBA season are all going to be on the same, um, yeah, calendar months. So that's going to be very interesting. But obviously, even when the World Cup is going on, we'll still be here making the Bears our primary focus, unless the U.S. decides to fireside's U.S. men's national team. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that is. That is exactly what it is. All right, but anyways, guys, let's get right into it because I think you know, for a general manager who talks so much about building through the draft when you look at the bears free agency moves and we'll get caught up on all the news towards the end of the show i think it's very interesting that there's a legitimate question we have to ask ourselves because when you talk to people and they say well year one's critical because ryan poles is going to build the foundation matt eberflew says we have to build the foundation but there's a bigger question here is that what do you think makes this nfl draft so critical and It's something that, quite frankly, isn't talked about enough because it's not just about laying the foundation. I think it's more so about infusing this roster with tons of young talent and not just young talent, but like long term building blocks. It's interesting because when you go back and you look at the first years of the Emory drafts, as well as the Ryan Pace draft, and you could even argue the Jerry Angelo draft, but 
you look and see the draft classes weren't necessarily great by any means. I mean, they were good. I would argue that Pace's first draft class was better than whatever Phil Emery decided to trot out. But still, the point I think still stands is that this is all about for Ryan Poles kind of going ahead and really beginning to not only lay a foundation, but also stabilize the process of building the Bears roster because the Bears, unfortunately, have not had roster stability over the last couple of years. I mean, you can have a really, you can have the same roster year in and year out, but it's not sustainable and it's also not stable if you're not constantly drafting and developing. Yeah, I, I really like that you bring that up. Um, I think there's this whole kind of concept that I think a lot of people agree with that, like, franchises who have had recent long-term success or have kind of always been successful long-term do so through the draft in the most part. Um, You know, I think recently you could talk about the Kansas city chiefs. I think teams like Pittsburgh and new England are are great examples of that as well. When I think about this question about what makes it so critical, I mean, it's the first draft class for our new GM. Uh, You know, we know the Ryan pace method of things. We know kind of how he acted and how, he approached the draft and the aggressiveness he approached with things and, and kind of valuing players over quantity of picks. But what are Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham going to do? Because we don't really know. Obviously, there's a lot of question marks, a lot of positional needs, and, and, and a lot of things that need to be addressed, but no clear picture as to what exactly Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham are going to do. Another thing that's critical about this NFL draft is it's not top-heavy. We've talked about that a few times. It's a very deep class in terms of value at a lot of positional groups. I mean, wide receiver is absolutely one of those. Uh, I would argue offensive line. I would even say like a positional group like linebackers deep in this draft class. Bears in a really, really good spot in terms of where they sit in the second round. Um, obviously, it, it it's hard to not have a first round pick, um, but we have two second round picks and two fifth round picks, which is nice. Again, deep draft class, more opportunities to trade back, more opportunities to to move around. And ultimately the, the question that I have, and I don't think it's going to get answered until we get to the NFL draft is how does this regime value this draft class? Um, there's a lot of holes in this roster to fill. Like I mentioned, uh, Ryan Poles talks about getting a wide receiver to help Justin Fields talked about building through the trenches that addresses both sides of the ball in terms of the line. But is value going to be more important or is more players, more young talent going to be important? Ultimately, to kind of shorten this question and to kind of you know wrap kind of my initial thoughts on this before I go to Joe here, are Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham going to value quality of player or quantity of players when it comes to this NFL draft? Yeah, you make a really good point, Sam, because that's kind of the basis of what I wanted to not fully talk about, but at least a little bit. So this draft is really going to show us – the kind of learning curve Ryan pulls and to go through in terms of not chasing after his guys too hard. So the, the one issue will be, will he see his guy a few picks early and do what Ryan pasted and maybe trade up and give up future picks? Or will he sit at 39 and say, okay, we can move back a few picks. We can value these picks. We need more picks. And obviously he said he wants to build through the draft. He wants to get more picks, but that's just, what he's saying right now that could easily change draft day. You never know. You don't want him just going after his guys and reaching either. So not only with trades, but just at value. So we'll get into that a little more, but when, when it comes to, you know, possibly the third round or something, or it's your, or it's your fifth round pick, 
you don't want them reaching for a guy that is supposed to go two rounds later. That, that's just not a wasted pick, but he may fit the scheme well, but you don't have to reach that high to get the guys that you want. So it's just going to be very, very important to see how polls, if he gets through, go, goes through that learning curve where he has struggles with his first few drafts, then kind of picks it up. Basically, he needs to, he doesn't need to exactly hit it on his first draft perfectly, but we need to see some very solid hits on this draft, whether that's him getting more picks and, you know, kind of shotgunning it and hoping a few hit or just perfectly valuing each pick that he has. And look, I want to say something too, because I think, you know, and I've said this on the YouTube channel, I've said this on the podcast as well, but just when. You look at Ryan Poles this offseason. I mean, his first big roster move was trading Khalil Mack. And so when you trade the face of the franchise to build around another future face of the franchise in Justin Fields, you know, you better have a really good backup plan in place. And I think for Ryan Poles, it's going to be so important to kind of basically go ahead and show that what he did with the Khalil Mack trade, he's ready to capitalize and pay off on it, that it was a trade that had some legitimate justification behind it. And I think the same goes for Matt Eberflus too, who we all know clearly had a serious level of influence in the um, Khalil Mack trade. But look, Ian Cunningham, his name being dropped is certainly interesting because Ryan Poles kinds of comes from an organization where it's like, all right, the Chiefs have had some first-round picks. They also haven't had first-round picks. But I also think that in the context of what makes this draft so important, when you look at the Eagles' recent drafts, I mean, there's been times they've had four, five, six total picks on day three, you know, between those fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders. And I think that's so key because when we talk about 39 and 48, I mean, we have to understand that if the Bears are going to go ahead and grab some extra draft capital for late day two, early day three, and just spread it throughout day three. It's going to be with the 39th overall pick. When I look at the 48th overall pick, things get a bit tougher because, yeah, you could add an additional fourth, fifth, or sixth rounder in that process, but still the return in value is not going to be as high as it would be with the 39th overall pick. Yeah, the, the only other thing I wanted to add, and sorry, I didn't realize I was muted there. I was going to speak right away, but uh, what else is new? Um, I, I talked about um, not really necessarily knowing what this regime is going to do. Um, there's still trades and moves that could get made prior to the draft happening. Um, and, and I think that kind of lore of like mystery is something that I don't think Bears fans are ready for. Ryan Poles might just stay put and be like, all right, we're good with the picks we have. Maybe we trade back once. Maybe we don't trade back at all. Maybe we're happy with our six picks. Who knows? Maybe they're trying to find a potential suitor for Robert Quinn or Nick Foles. I truly think that like right now there is no certainty other than we have to fill positional needs at certain spots. We, we have to get Justin Fields a receiver. We have to address this offensive line a little bit. We need to find a few players on defense. But, like, there is absolutely no certainty where Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham are going to go and, and what moves they still might make. And, you know, I think, um, you know, we look at the kind of free agency moves that they've made, like – They've signed a couple of linebackers. Are they going to draft another linebacker? Um, they've they've addressed the nickel cornerback spot a little bit, and and they've addressed, addressed kind of the secondary as a whole a little bit. 
are they going to take a corner or a safety early? Are they going to take a corner or safety at all? There's a lot of speculation with it, and it's kind of exciting because we're truly going to be going into the draft with, with a lot of uncertainty and the results that we get. It's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the 2022 draft class looks like, and I'm excited for that. I, I truly am. Yeah, I think they're doing a very good job of not fully tipping their hand for the second round. Like, they're not going into the second round of this draft with two picks with their two biggest, like, by far, like, they have everything filled but wide receiver and offensive line. They've, they've made some small moves that say, okay, we'd be fine here if we don't draft this position, but we still have a need here. So it is going to be fun. We have no idea what can happen. Whereas when, when Ryan Pace last drafted, when he actually last had two second-round picks, we had a feeling that Cole Komet was going to be that second-round pick. We were kind of getting that feeling as the draft went on. A lot of people didn't want it, but it happened. We Nobody really saw a corner coming, but Jalen Johnson falling kind of happened like that. But that draft, kind of the way it fell, was kind of how a lot of people expected because Pace sort of tipped his hand what he was looking for. So speaking of tipping your hand and getting away from what happens in the second round, I mean – or slightly sticking with it. I mean, the Bears don't have a first-round pick, and it's very interesting because if you go back and look at the Kansas City Chiefs draft history, I mean, it's also a team that has had, I think, three or four first-round picks dating all the way back to 2016. So I think what it shows is that from a front office standpoint, Ryan Poles has been a part of NFL drafts in recent memory where there hasn't been a first round pick. There's been a couple second round picks. And so what does that mean exactly? I think what it means is that this isn't necessarily number one. We have to understand is it's not unprecedented territory for Ryan Poles, but then number two, when you do your homework, right, you are able to go and hit on a number of players. Like I think, Dating back to the NFL draft evaluations last year, and I don't know where you guys had him ranked, but Nick Bolton, the linebacker from Missouri, was a name that a lot of people had going as a first-round pick, who ultimately fell all the way to round two. Creed Humphrey was another guy that was a second-round pick. You go back to McCole Hardman, Juan Thornhill in 2019. You know, Go back all the way to 2016 when Chris Jones was a first-round – I'm sorry, a second-round pick of the Chiefs. And so – I think Ryan Poles, the organization that he comes from, has clearly shown, hey, it's a front office that's able to find talent, and now Poles is going to try and replicate that exact system here in Chicago. But with that said, I don't necessarily think that for Poles, what should happen is he should have to go ahead and replicate exactly what the Kansas City Chiefs did because I think so much of what went on in Kansas City was kind of – Brett Veach, John Dorsey, and Andy Reid, the three guys that are responsible for the current state of the Chiefs roster. People are not going to want to admit this, but those guys like Tyree, well, Tyree Hill's not there anymore. But, you know, going back to the Chiefs Super Bowl run, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Hill, those were not Brett Veach draft picks. Those were John Dorsey draft picks. The same way with here in Chicago that Justin Fields, you know, if he succeeds in this rebuild pans out, you're going to have to give more credit to Ryan Pace because we might be in a situation here where we're never going to have to see Ryan Poles actually evaluate a quarterback in the NFL draft. But I also think that when you bring up the head coach, I think so much of what's going to go on in this second round, as well as when the Bears opt to draft on defense, whenever it is throughout the draft, is going to be more so of Matt Eberflus's influence 
then it is going to be Ryan Pohl's influence. And when you look at it, I'll let Joe go in a second here because I can just tell that he's just absolutely positively itching to go here and make a point, is that for the Bears, I think the way this has to work is that Cunningham and Poles build up the offense, and you just leave anything related to defense, including player evaluations, in the hands of Matt Eberflus and the defensive staff. Yeah, I think it's going to be a collective effort regardless. I I know we saw Brian Pace make picks that may have not fit Matt Nagy's scheme, and it didn't seem like there was – I know collaboration was their big word, but it really seemed like they were not collaborating at all with some of the picks and signings they made. I think with Poles and Eberflus, they have a very strong connection, along with – it seems like Gasky too, has a very strong connection now with Poles so far as – I mean, they brought in Equinemius St. Brown. They brought in Lucas Patrick right there. That's two players that know his scheme already and can translate well. I think they're looking to build what's going to be off those players. And I, I love that you brought up the point of the Chiefs Super Bowl run. And, you know, we talk about building this foundation and everything. The biggest thing is they drafted those three players in the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Most of their team is homegrown talent. And that's what's really going to be very important in every round. And again, we're not expecting Ryan Poles at every single pick. We're not expecting him to find a star at every pick, but the, I, I bring up his most recent draft class with the chiefs. Obviously it wasn't his draft class, but he had a major hand in it with the offensive line picks, but they found talent nearly every round. You talked about Nick Bolton. He was automatically an absolute stud for them immediately. Creed Humphrey was a star for them. Trey Smith was an immediate starter and impact player in the sixth round for them in the offensive line. The fact that they're able to find these players through every round to immediately impact, it's going to be very important that, that translates also. And, and I, you bring up a great point. Sure, he's not the GM. He's not making all the like the picks. It's obviously the GMs that are there, Andy Reid. They obviously have the, the upper hand there in terms of picks. But we're hoping that he learned a thing or two from these guys. We're hoping that he can bring this to Chicago and build this foundation that once we have a solid team of homegrown talent, people that we brought in, then we can start making the big moves, like when the Chiefs made that trade for Orlando Brown, like when they signed Joe Thune as well. Hope We need that kind of stuff after we build the foundation. I think they're going to set themselves up for that very well, as long as, obviously, each draft goes as it should. Yeah, uh, hard to follow that point up. The only other really things I'll add, because um, I, I really do agree with a lot of that, Joe, um, this is a spot that Ryan Poles is – not unfamiliar with i think he's kind of stepping into a territory he's been in before um and i think ultimately he's had a hand in kind of addressing second and third round talent and and talent just not in the first round ultimately um would it be nice to have a first round pick yeah absolutely there's players in the first round that i would love to see be in a chicago bears uniform but that's just not the hand we've been dealt and a lot of that again has to do with the fact that we have a potential quarterback of the future in justin fields and what's exciting about that is because the Bears have a quarterback, there's going to be quarterback needy teams in the second round who are going to be eyeing pick 39. If I'm Ryan Poles, I'm listening to the chatter about potentially moving back that, you know, decently far because they have such a solid pick in the second round. And what makes that such an easier move on them is acquiring that other pick in the clue Mac trade. Yeah, obviously the the haul back in return for Cleo Mack wasn't great. It was two picks. But long term, and you look at the, the cap space potential next year, Ryan Poles is going to have options. So I, I think overall it, it's it's one of those things where the moves that are made now will absolutely set up the Bears, you know, hopefully 
long-term very nicely. Um, again, the draft is a lot of shooting in the dark and hoping you hit something. And let's hope that Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham can do so quite a bit. But uh, this is, again, un- you know, this is not unfamiliar territory for him. He, he's been here before. So, okay, let me ask you guys this then. Because I think that this offseason, one of the big things that really kind of happened with the Bears fan base is everyone's super excited for the two second-round picks. And, Sam, I totally agree. Like, that 48th overall pick does give the Bears a lot of much-needed flexibility in this draft in terms of just being able to maneuver. But would you guys, knowing Ryan Poles' history with some of these second round picks in terms of what the chiefs were able to do. And I'll go to Joe on this first, but would you guys rather have the two twos or have one, one? Um, that's a good question. I'd probably rather, I mean, obviously I'd rather have a first round pick. It depends when the first round pick is, I guess. But I think regardless, if you're, if you're talking about this year or just in general, um, if it's this year, I'd rather the first and a second trade back and get just a ton more picks and, maybe keep your pick still in the first round. Again, it kind of depends when that first-round pick is. If you're assuming it's the current Bears' first-round pick they traded away, that's a different story. You take that heartbeat because, I mean, that's like a top-ten pick. But um, if it's, say, like, you know, pick 31, I don't really think it's much of a difference from what they have now that you can really say, oh, I wish we had that. But obviously, the the higher up you are, the better. I guess it depends what the picks are, if that makes sense. Like, if you have a early second, late first, or – or like a, or sorry, late second, early first. Sorry, I'm saying this all wrong. Late second, late first, or early second, and like two like early seconds. Then you're going to take the early seconds probably because that's nearly equivalent plus a better second. But it, it all depends when they all are. Before I go, I'm going to keep it a stack with you. That was a tongue twister, and I don't even, I can't even imagine having to listen back to that. So if you're at this point in the podcast and you had to listen through all of that, I'm just apologizing on the behalf. That hurt because. I, that looked like painful to Joe. I can't imagine listening to that as a listener. But anyway, if it's picked seventh overall, I'm taking seventh overall because I can either sit there and get arguably the best receiver in the draft class uh, if I wanted to, or like Joe mentioned, I trade back and I get potentially a first and, and a few other picks. Uh, obviously not having a second round pick would be brutal, but the Bears have a decent third round pick as well at 71. I'm okay with sacrificing two second round picks for a first round pick. If it's seven overall, you, you, there's I, I'm not going to not take that pick because it's a top ten pick. I, I mean, Ryan Poles, if he had the seventh overall pick with the draft capital ahead right now, who boy, a lot of problems I think could be solved potentially with that seventh overall pick. But like Joe said, I you know, and I mentioned it earlier, it, it's more does he value quantity or quality in terms of what he wants in this draft class. And I think if he had seventh overall pick or just a first round pick in general, I think that's more of a quality player. Whereas with the given situation with two second round picks, I think you're definitely looking for quality, but more of a priority in my opinion, in quantity of players, because there's a lot of really great young talent in this class. I mean, there's a lot of avenues that the bears can go in this draft class, but to answer this question, I'm taking that first round pick. Yeah. Look, I think for me, you know, what it comes down to is this, is that, if okay, so if you look at the Bears, right, and if it was like a pick within the first 15 picks of the first round, I'm sticking with that pick. But I also think that if it's a pick that's let's just say in between that kind of 24. 
34 to like 32 range in round one, then you do consider going ahead and training back, training back, well, trading back simply because I think ultimately more than anything, what this comes down to is that you get to a point with the draft board where some of those second round picks, some of those late first round picks are pretty much second round picks. And ultimately if you're in that kind of like 23, 24 to 31, 32 range, the big thing I think to mention is that that's a sweet spot right there to kind of move down a couple spots and then just acquire an extra third or fourth round pick. And people kind of look at these third and fourth round picks and they're like, yeah, those are not really the best picks on the planet. When in reality, you know, those third, fourth round picks, I think are more valuable than people are willing to admit. And, you know, what's interesting about the bears is this, when you go back and you look at their draft history, I think the last time the bears actually had, the bears have not had four, they never had four picks within the top 100 in the Ryan Pace era. Okay, the last time I think the Bears had four picks in the top 100 was the Matt Forte draft, which is 2008 when they drafted Chris Williams, Forte, Earl Bennett, and Marcus Harrison. You know, so the point is, is that, and even that third round pick you mentioned is just like the third round was, I think, the worst possible round for Ryan Pace to draft simply because they could just not hit on any of those third round picks. And when you look at those third round picks, I mean, you're looking at Haraz Grasu, who again was an okay starter. Um, Jonathan Bullard, kind of just just a bust in his own right. Well, David Montgomery, I should say, is the best third round pick that the Bears have had. But ultimately, you look at the third round for the Bears. Historically, they have not been very good. And so, moving forward, it's going to be all about you know how can we capitalize. But I would definitely take you know. Depends on where you are on the draft board, but don't be mad with two twos either. So, anyways. Moving on from all this talk about draft capital here, I mean, guys, Ryan Poles loves to match valuation with evaluation. So what do you think is the sweet spot for wide receiver, offensive tackle, and cornerback in round two? Because I think that that's going to be the Bears list right there of positions they're going to address in that second round. Um, so I, this is kind of where I, I tweeted about this a little bit, uh, alluding to sort of what I would do if I was the bears. First things first, um, before even getting into this question, I, I, I truly believe that unless a player with like a first round grade slips into the second round, I'm a big advocate for training back at 39, uh, as much as it would be great to know that we could secure a potential fit. There's a lot of teams. who I think are going to be calling about 39 quarterback needy teams, Teams trying to trade up for, you know, whatever other position. The only reason I mentioned quarterbacks because I think a team like Atlanta or New Orleans might be calling the Bears for that 39th overall pick. This is a quarterback class. Where I think a lot of quarterbacks are going to get taken in the second and third round, in my opinion. Um, so that's kind of the first step there. And the reason why I, I bring that up even at all is I talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show. This is a deep receiver class. There is a lot of wide receivers in this draft class projected second, third round guys who I think can start day one right away. We've talked about George Pickens, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, Alec Pierce, uh, Khalil Shakir, um, John Mechie. I mean, there are guys who are going to get drafted who, who I truly think could be like wide receiver one, even at the end of the season, but potentially contribute right away. So I, if I'm the Bears, again, I'm trading back and I'm taking a receiver probably with my first, second round pick. After that, it's a little hard for me to not, you know, to to kind of have to pick between these two, between corner and offensive line. But I want the Bears to prioritize the offense in this draft quite a bit. 
And I think truly there's going to be good offensive alignment available late in the second round. And, and I think there's going to be good corners available at 71. So, or maybe the bears trade back in the third, who knows, but just for the sake of this 71. Um, so ultimately I, I truly think the sweet spot for the bears is trade back at 39 and address wide receiver and offensive line in the second round, getting some value back. Now, the only exception to this is if, let's say, a Kyler Gordon or a Kair Alam drops into the second round and is in the Bears' lap at 39. And I think I might have butchered Alam's name, by the way. If I did, I'm sorry. If, you don't, if you're not an active listener of the show, I butcher players' names all the time. Anyway, one of those guys drops at 39. I think you absolutely pull the trigger, 100%. I think those are guys who are first-round talents, who can contribute right away, and I truly think you take them at 39. But otherwise – my sweet spot for the Bears, my ideal situation for the Bears, is you trade back at 39 and you take a receiver offensive line in the second round. That's kind of my mindset. It's not necessarily the right mindset, not necessarily the right idea, but ultimately that's what I would do if I was the Bears. So, Joe, what are your what is your sweet spot for the Bears? Yeah, you kind of hit it on it perfectly to start. Basically, my main point, unless a first-round talent like a Tyler Lindenbaum or – possibly even a Kenyon Green or even like a Traylon Burks or Chris Olave fall to your lap at 39, you're not trading back. you got to take one of those guys there. You can't risk going back and missing out on one of those guys. Again, it's a deep wide receiver class, sure, but Alec Pierce is not Chris Olave. Alec Pierce is not Traylon Burks. You're not going to get a center near the talent of Tyler Linderbaum right off the bat. Possibly someone who maybe Linderbaum somehow busts, but Linderbaum has a very, very high ceiling and a very high floor as well that he's going to be an immediate impact player. You don't pass up on that. And there's going to be a few players, obviously, that fit that bill of, okay, if they fall into your lap, you kind of have to take them. If the draft falls as it should, you know, the, the top guys all go in the first round, nobody really falls that's worth taking there. You do trade back. You get those picks, and you go offense. And you kind of made a really good point. If, if you trade back and somehow Kyler Gordon is still there after a trade back, no hesitation. You, you take him right away. And same as you said, I, I'm not even trying to say his name either. Elam, I'll say his last name. That's it. If he falls in your lap too after a trade back, you take him too. But I think if you're trading back and you still have two second round picks, they both need to go to offense. One to the offensive line, one wide receiver, two to offensive line, two wide receiver. I don't care. You need to address the offense hard early, especially with all the freezing signings being basically the defense this offseason. Yeah, I am going to kind of go ahead and say this is that ultimately when, you know, I look at it like my whole thing comes down to this is that I think the sweet spot is going to be wide receiver and offensive tackle. When you look at kind of just the way the draft board is going to fall is that 39, I think, is going to be prime territory for a wide receiver because if you're the bears, you also have to account for this is that look at the teams that are picking ahead of you in the draft, right? You're looking at basically a team like the New York jets who have Zach Wilson as a young quarterback. You're looking at the giants who are installing a new system under Brian Dable that could require a variety of different pass catchers. Then, you know, you look at the Jaguars too, who are right there at the very top of round two. Well, I'm sorry, not the, uh, yeah, the Jaguars are at 33 overall. You got the Detroit Lions, the Jets, the Giants, the Houston Texans, the Jets again at 33. I'm sorry, 38 overall. So my point is, is the fact that the sweet spot at 39 is going to be wide receiver or offensive tackle. Okay. 
When it comes to cornerback, I want to say this is that would I be mad if the Bears took a cornerback at 48? I would not necessarily be mad, but I also think that, and I've made this note a couple times, is that this cornerback class is deep enough to where you could find a hidden gem on day two or three. But I also think that Eberflus's track record of coaching up these DBs is something that should absolutely, absolutely continue to matter as Sam scrolls through Instagram here. But this needs to be a very offensive-heavy predicated NFL draft because for the Bears draft class, I mean, they have to be honest about something. And, you know, people are not going to like me saying this, but I think right now, the offense is actually worse off on paper compared to what it was last year. Because last year, at least at wide receiver going into the draft, you had Mooney and Robinson. Okay, you at least had some talent on the OL, like a James Daniel, who I think is just still continuing to get better, who's no longer in Chicago. You at least had that talent to work with. But this year, though, the difference is that Poles has basically torn everything down to the bone and said, we're going to rebuild this thing back up, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I also think that ultimately at the end of the day, you know what, like sweet spot is going to be wide receiver OT and sweet spot for both of those two positions is going to be 39, 48, I think is a toss up, but I wouldn't be mad with a wide receiver at 48. If there's a guy like a sky Moore there from Western Michigan that has completely fallen because the only real attribute that he has is speed. So anyways, getting away from the wide receiver and cornerback talk here, I know you guys dropped mock drafts this week, so y'all are going to do majority of the talking with this point as I come up with questions on the fly. But how about Tyler Smith, guys, offensive tackle from Tulsa? I think because when you look at this NFL draft, everyone's talking about Charles Cross. Everyone's talking about Evan Neal, a lot of the top offensive tackle prospects. But And then in round two, people have really fixated on we need to absolutely get a wide receiver. But how about Tyler Smith from Tulsa? Take the reins on this one, Joe. Yeah, I think Tyler Smith is a – very high upside player you can get second round I, I don't think you can use you don't really need to use your first second round pick on him but if you go like a uh, you know George Pickens or Christian Watson is your first second round pick he's definitely a guy you can go after so um to kind of just like summarize him he's a big mean nasty offensive lineman he's what the Bears need on the offensive line when it comes to you know what when it, when it comes to what Ryan Poles and Eberflus are trying to build here they're trying to build like they're not trying to build. They want to build guys who are in shape, mean, hundred percent all the time, and that's what embodies Tyler Smith. So, as a run blocker, he's probably one of the best in this draft class. He mauls through everybody on the run. His passing protection is pretty solid. He needs to get better technique, but I, I mean, he didn't have a lot of playing time. He's pretty young, so he needs to kind of you know get better in his pass sets. He once he anchors down, he's pretty well at stopping you know a power rush because he's so powerful. But he needs to get better, you know, mirroring, doing all that kind of stuff with technique and just overall hand placement. But he's definitely a guy you could build for long term, and he can either be a impact starter right away at tackle or guard. So I don't know how they would view him. If they view him as a guard, I think he's in a top, a really high end guard. But he obviously doesn't have the value of what you'd think at a tackle. If he's a tackle right away, then you're kind of set at both your tackle positions. I think if he is the guy you take a tackle, he's more likely a right tackle. I think you have to kind of trust that Tevin Jenkins could take over at left tackle, but overall, I think he could fit a bunch of different holes on the offensive line, whether you want to get your right guard right away or your left tackle. So it all depends how they view him. Again, 
I I think he could be a tackle in this league, but a lot of people view him as a guard right now. Yeah, not a, a whole lot else to add. I, I agree with a lot of that. Uh, again, I think a reason why I take him in a lot of my mocks is because of that versatility. I, I do think you could plug him in at tackle or guard. Um, he's a bully. I mean, that that's a great way to describe him. I mean, he is he is an absolute menace. And I think Ryan Poles kind of talked about like he wants his offense alignment to kind of be jerks. And I think you get that in a guy like Tyler Smith. Um, he's 6'6", 332 pounds. I mean, he is legitimately a monster that's going to keep you up at night uh, and 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 keep up defensive players up at night because they're not going to be able to get past him. Really like his tape when guys go one-on-one on him. Again, Joe kind of alluded to it a little bit, so I'm not going to harp on that point anymore. Um, I could see them moving him to guard just because that downhill power he has is it would be really nice in the run game. But I could absolutely see him being an advocate for the right tackle spot and anchoring down that side. And ultimately, again, uh, he's a guy I don't think you have to take a 39. I agree. I think I took him at 39 in this particular mock draft because no idea why, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I did because uh, I wanted him to be a Chicago Bear. And ultimately, um, just kind of fits the mold and the scheme of what the Bears need. I really like his tape. Again, high ceiling guy. I, I truly believe he would be a really, really nice fit for what this Bears offensive line needs uh, currently. Okay, see, I'm going to have to get caught up on the Tyler Smith evaluation and stuff with a couple weeks ago here, but I also think that something has to be said is that when you look at merely his measurables, I mean, Sam, it's like you mentioned, he's 6'6", 232, got 34-inch arms, and then about hands, I think, are like 10 and a like quarter inches or something, you know, or like 10.75 inches. But I think what makes Tyler Smith such a valuable prospect is that the measurables alone kind of go ahead and showcase why exactly he should be playing at offensive tackle at the next level. Now, the major concern that I guess I would have for him would be, would he be able to, as someone who comes from, Compared to the rest of these top-notch offensive tackles in this class, he comes from a mid-sized program. I'm not saying Tulsa's like a D3 school or anything, but ultimately, like some of the prospects like that are in this class, like an Evan Neal, like a Charles Equinamu, like a Kenyon Green, you know, both interior and outside, like you know. Inside and outside guys, you know, they are ultimately coming from a lot of these bigger schools. Tyler Smith, I don't think, is getting the exact same kind of hype that he probably should be. But I think that he's one of those players where measurables tend to matter more than most people are willing to admit. And that's why I think he's going to have a long and successful career. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Uh, Again, just to kind of reemphasize the point I made. If the Bears want kind of an absolute bully on the offensive line, they will draft Tyler Smith. I truly do think he's a really nice fit, whether it be at guard or tackle. 100% agreed. Yeah, look, and I think the last one I'm going to make is this, is that when it comes to this offensive line, because it's just worth talking about, is that I understand Larry Borm and Tevin Jenkins are incredibly young players, but ultimately when you look at both of them, there's a chance that they're probably going to be competing for their jobs during training camp. 
You know, I could certainly see Larry Borum, who in pictures and videos has looked like he's lost a lot of weight and just really slimmed down. I could see Borum being someone who becomes swing tackle. And I do think Borum was more than solid. Tevin Jenkins, I think, is still a major unknown, specifically because, again, the Bears really mishandled his back injury last year, which ultimately led to him missing basically the entire rookie season. Now, I will say that Cody Whitehair is going to be a day-one starter and Lucas Patrick is going to be a day-one starter. But there's still three spots that are completely up for grabs, and that's left tackle, left guard, and then right guard and right tackle. And Well, I really should say four spots are up for grabs because we don't know exactly where the Bears are going to go ahead and play Cody Whitehair. But... Ultimately, and I think that these guys like a Tyler Smith, he's just one of the handful of names to keep an eye on. But, you know, we mentioned guys possibly falling out of the first round. Joe, who's one name you have fallen out of the first round and why? So the first one I have is Tyler Linderbaum. Um, I, I hope I didn't steal anybody else because we didn't put him in the notes like we should have. But um, I don't think he should at all. I really don't. I think he's going to have a very similar, you know, fall to what happened to Creed Humphrey last year where he was, you know, a early second end of the first round kind of mock draft talent. But since he's the center, he dropped a little bit and he really didn't have any concerns. I mean, he was a long-term starter in college football. He's mean, he's nasty. He really had everything. He's big, like bulky, tall, like he had everything. And Linderbaum is a little smaller, so he already has kind of a knock on him. Plus, he's the center. So I, I kind of center-only type of prospects normally fall a little bit in the draft. And if, if he falls to the Bears, I would absolutely love it. But I, I could see him easily falling out of the first round just because he only plays center. That would be like a dream situation in my mind. If he slips to the second round, uh, I, I think the Bears absolutely need to be on on him 100%, get him in Chicago because I, I truly think his his potential and, and what he could fill to the Bears long-term is, is really exciting. Um, the, the prospect that I have falling out of round one is uh, Jahan Dotson, wide receiver out of Penn State. Um, he kind of feels like the odd man out in this draft class, and I think a lot of that is due to the fact that he's not six foot, he's 5'11", which is absolutely crazy to me. He Everything that I've watched about him shows me a complete wide receiver and a guy who could absolutely complement a lot of offenses. And honestly, if he falls to the second round, the only team I could see him maybe taking going to is the Lions with their 34th overall pick. If he were to fall to the Bears at 39, I would take him no questions asked. I love everything about his game. And ultimately, I, I think a guy that I compare him to in terms of first-round talent that slips to the second round at wide receiver is Elijah Moore. I had Elijah Moore ranked as a, as a pretty high wide receiver last year. A guy that I wanted the Bears to take with a 20th overall pick ended up slipping to the second round. I was hoping he was going to fall, and then he was taking a few picks to the New York Jets before the Bears traded up for Tevin Jenkins. But but kind of a similar situation. I, I could see just ultimately him slipping just because there may not be that many teams that take a wide receiver in round one, and I think those top five guys kind of kind of edge him out a little bit. I could see teams taking guys like George Pickens or Christian Watson over him. But if Dotson's there at 39, uh, uh, he's a guy who I absolutely want to see in a Chicago Bears uniform. Yeah, look, Dotson is without a doubt personally one of my favorite NFL draft prospects. And, you know, I highlighted him during our wide receiver preview. Just the speed that he brings 
the ability to stretch a defense vertically, the ability to basically be five foot eleven but play in three different positions, I think should really matter. And then you just top that off with the production that he had at Penn State, especially dating back to 2021. I mean, that itself is really hard to ignore. But my guy is going to be, and I know there's going to be a bit of a hot take here, polarizing just a bit, but it's going to be offensive tackle from Northern Iowa, Trevor Penning. And the reason I say Penning is because I understand everybody looked at Trevor Penning during the senior ball and was just like, okay, this guy's super mean. He's nasty. He's going to go ahead and he's going to maul guys. You know, he's a true mauler, um, really big, physical, nasty guy. I understand that, but I've also got questions because I'm wary of taking some of these guys that have had to play at some of these D2, D3 schools, a lot of these much smaller programs, specifically because they're physical specimens. They are not necessarily the best athletes at times, and they sometimes will just go ahead and win with technique. Now, what makes Trevor Penning so interesting is the fact that I don't want the Bears to end up in another Adam Shaheen situation where it's a guy who dominates like a D2 or D3 level. And then all of a sudden what tends to happen is this guy gets to the NFL. And he's just not able to go ahead and handle those bigger, faster, and stronger defensive linemen. Now, again, I want to say something. Do I Would I want to see Trevor Penning in a Bears uniform? All right, very cool that Northern Iowa was D1, but um, pretty sure it's like lower end D1 too, so that's exactly what I was alluding to. Now, my point that I'm making more so, dude, is exactly CFCS. So there is a difference, genius, as you type this in the chat here. But the point I'm making more so is that these guys who come from these FCS schools, you really have to be wary of drafting them at times because does not necessarily mean that they're always going to pan out. But to be clear, do I want to see Trevor Penning in a Bears uniform next season? I think, and for the next couple of years, I think it would certainly be intriguing. But is it a name that I look at and say, yeah, you have to keep in mind playing at a smaller school, something that could significantly hamper him? Absolutely. But with that said, I don't have anything against Trevor Penning. I just see him being a player that is not going to be the first-round pick that a lot of people think he is. But since this is Missouri Valley Football Conference slander, please go ahead before we shift the conversation to talking about another ISU Redbird that was in Chicago for a visit this past week. Oh, we're going right into it. I love it. Um, but... Yeah, <clears throat> if I don't, did you want me to talk about James O'Shaughnessy? Or did you want me to talk about Missouri Valley football? No, I, I want Missouri Valley. Missouri yeah, Valley talk about, no, talk about Missouri Valley football because <laughs> you can't deal with the slander and Trevor Penning. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I honestly, again, I'm a huge Missouri Valley football fan because you know Illinois State Rollbirds. That's where I went. So, um, but I don't think Trevor Penning is a better prospect than Spencer Brown, which. Might be a hot take since he was, I think Spencer Brown was a second or a third round pick last year from the same school. But I don't really see him being a first round pick either, in my opinion. I don't think he should be. I think he has the intangibles and measurables to be an absolute star, but I don't really find a major drop off in terms of overall talent and speed between FBS and FCS when it comes to the highest level of players. Because the highest level players, if they're not, the, the highest level players, most of the time, either transfer or just stay and keep dominating, and they'll dominate for years. So they're gaining experience. They're gaining just football knowledge in general. So, and overall, like, 
you get these guys that will transfer out. I mean, Jabril Cox, he was North Dakota State star for years. He transferred out to LSU and still was a second round pick. And you get these guys. I, the, again, the, the common like thing is Christian Watson's another big one, especially among Bears fans. A lot of Bears fans don't like him because of all the uh, difference of FCS to FBS speed. It doesn't matter when you run 23 miles an hour in the game. Like you're still running that fast, whether it's against someone who's a millisecond slower than someone in the FBS. And it, overall, just if you're looking at physical overall talent and just the ability that they learn and the technique and the coaching, those highest level FCS programs hang with FBS programs. It's not like you it's not like they're not very good. Like, I mean, I believe Northern Iowa, I think it was two years ago, went to like triple overtime with Iowa State when Iowa State was like a bowl team and they were good. North Dakota State upset Iowa when Iowa was ranked in the top 10 a few years ago. And now FBS teams are afraid of North Dakota State because they don't want to get embarrassed. When I was at Illinois State, we beat we beat Colorado State, who was like a 5-5 five and five FBS team, and we dominated them pretty bad. And we didn't even make the FCS playoffs that year. So I, I don't think there's a, as big of a drop-off in talent as people think. It's just the higher-level FCS teams don't normally face the mid- to lower-level FBS like D1 teams like a Northern Iowa or stuff like that. And when they do, it's a very, very competitive game. Yeah, like I'm going to say this, okay? Christian Watson, I think, should be the exception just because he is a physical specimen. And I think that, you know, what's interesting is some of these FCS schools sometimes very rarely crank out wide receivers that are of the physical specimen but also the talent as well as the upside that a guy like a Christian Watson I think currently possesses like there's an argument to be made that Christian Watson is one of the best FCS prospects to declare for the draft in the last couple seasons based solely off the upside but anyways getting away from it here I mean the Bears have been super active guys because they brought in tight end James O'Shaughnessy, who we're going to discuss first because he's an ISU Redbird. And this show heavily supports Redbirds because there's the North Central Cardinals and then there's the ISU Redbirds. Um, and then there's the College of DuPage Chaparrals, which is a bird, but it's not a Redbird. And then there's also the USC Flames because I went to both schools and I'm at Concordia University right now as I wear my Oklahoma State t-shirt. Funny fact about my um, Oklahoma State uh, t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Sam represents the Chaps, too. Fun fact about the OSU t-shirt, right? So this goes back a couple years, and I was at Jewel wearing this t-shirt in the summer, and someone I knew from high school, like, just decided to randomly say hi to me, and it's so weird when you always meet people from high school again, because these are people we haven't seen in, like, three, four, five years at some time, um, until you get to your early 20s, and then you never, ever see them again. You totally forget that they even existed. But anyways, this dude goes and he's just like, oh, you're at Oklahoma State. And I'm like, no, I just literally got the t-shirt because it was on clearance at uh, Lids for like 10 bucks. But yo, let's get back on track here. So the point is, is you have Matt Adams who gets signed to a one-year deal. Linebacker was with Matt Eberflus from 2018 to 2021. Tavon Young comes in on a one-year, like $1.356 million deal. And I believe that, you know, he's got direct ties to Ian Cunningham, who was, again, very high up in the Baltimore Ravens organization when Young was brought in. Ryan Griffin's another name that the Bears went ahead and brought in, like a 32, 33-year-old tight end who, you know, has been productive, but never really been a top-tier tight end. And then James O'Shaughnessy was a guy that was a draft pick by the Kansas City Chiefs in 2015. So another sign, another, I'm sorry, you know, these signings can be grouped into two spots. Low-risk, high-reward, like Young and Griffin. 
And then Matt Adams and James O'Shaughnessy, who the Bears have signed Adams, but not O'Shaughnessy yet. All about familiarity, but go ahead, Joe Schmo. Yeah, so I would say Tavon, Tavon Young, if he comes in and he stays healthy, I think it's an absolute incredible value signing. Now the issue is staying healthy. He struggled with injuries his entire career. I believe he's tore his ACL twice now. So keeping him on the field is going to be the hard part, but I do believe he can be a starting slot corner immediately. I think it's a very solid pickup. Ryan Griffin, I think he's just basically the Jesse James replacement. So I, I love Jesse James, but I think he's just going to be the tight end three who takes, you know, gives some breaks to Cole Komet here and there. And he's a good blocking tight end, he's a, and he catches every pass thrown his way. I really have no complaints about him as a player. I think he's very talented um, and just think he's a very great depth option. Um, and then Matt Adams, like I talked about earlier, bringing in players that know your scheme and you have experienced coaching, you can't go wrong with it. I mean, it, it's the very least – they can teach the players around them how the scheme is going to work and help them transition to the scheme better. And additionally with Matt Adams is he can be an instant starter if they need him to, or he can just be a competitor when you bring in a rookie in like the later round, you know, to compete with him for one of those linebacking positions. Um, James O'Shaughnessy, I, I think he's might be like a camp body. I think he could be very solid. I don't think he really got a fair chance anywhere. I thought he looked pretty solid in his limited time last year when they basically had, Tim Tebow's their tight end one, and then when he got cut, he got cut. He kind of got put into the role, and then and then the Jaguars went and traded for Dan Arnold, if I remember correctly, near the end of the season. So O'Shaughnessy got hurt early on, but he was having a, one of his better seasons. I mean, his highest output for receiving yards was 260 yards in 2020, but then last year in only seven games, he had 244, and he was looking pretty solid. And he was he got a lot more looks. He was becoming kind of a very safe option for Trevor Lawrence. I think he could be like a, I mean, maybe not a Ryan Griffin type of player, but a very similar aspect, maybe like a Jesse James type of player for the Bears last year. I think he'd be that on another team. I just don't think he's going to come here to Chicago. Not much to add. Um, I I, uh, I don't understand replacing Jesse James with Ryan Griffin. That's what it seems like this move was to do, and I kind of like Jesse James's upside and connection with Fields more than Ryan Griffin, but I'm not going to cry about it. I mean, it's not that huge of a deal. And Griffin's a productive player, an older player, but productive. And, and again, just uh, depth at tight end room. Um, I really do like the Tavon Young signing. I agree with you with that. If he stays healthy, I, I truly think him and, and Jalen Johnson are going to be really nice. If you find a solid second outside corner, that's not a bad secondary, in my opinion. Um, obviously, still need to find someone to go alongside Eddie Jackson. Um, and again, Matt Adams don't seem again don't know a lot about him. Former Indianapolis Colts, following Matt Eberflus to Chicago, young solid player. The, the only really thing I'll say about kind of the moves the Bears have made between bringing in guys for visits and signings, it kind of seems like linebacker. And, and, and maybe this is just my opinion on this. It's not what I truly think. Like, please disagree with me if you guys disagree with me on this. This moves kind of make me feel like the Bears aren't going to address linebacker or tight end in this year's draft. And I'm okay with that. It definitely feels like a, hey, we can fill in these roles for this year until next year where we can find more long-term solutions at some of these positional groups in terms of just depth. And also just ultimately the Bears don't currently have a lot of draft picks. And I don't really, you know, I've drafted tight ends and linebackers in the mock drafts. I'm not saying like that the Bears shouldn't do this, but these moves kind of make me feel like the Bears are kind of starting to stray away from the positional groups that they're not going to draft and start to kind of narrow down, okay, what do we need to address in the draft, you know, come a few weeks from now. So 
Uh, overall, though, you know, active signings. I, I would prefer Ryan Poles to not, you know, have this news announced at like 11 p.m. so that I could get some sleep without having to react to things. But um, overall, decent signings as a whole. And, and we'll see if O'Shaughnessy, don't even know how to say his last name, comes in and signs with the Bears. If he doesn't, I like that the Bears are staying active there. But yeah, not really a whole lot else to add to that. Well, you should get the pronunciation of O'Shaughnessy correct because clearly you're offending a fellow ISU Redbird. And if you offend one Redbird, you offend all of them. I'm a little disappointed in you guys because you didn't bring up Jesper Horstead once as the Bears sign a veteran tight end and then go ahead and bring in another veteran tight end for a visit. Because, look, here's my whole issue with Ryan Griffin and O'Shaughnessy. O'Shaughnessy, number one, has never really proven anything. And then number two, when you look at Ryan Griffin, I mean, ultimately, I think something has to be said here is it's like he's been good, but he's never really been great. I mean, he's never really been a top-tier tight end in the NFL. Part of it is the blame because you just got stuck with really bad quarterback play, but then also you look at some of the injuries that he's dealt with over the last couple of years, and I think it gets to a point where you just realize that, look, it's not really worth investing in so-and-so players anymore because these guys are legitimately injured. And speaking of another guy that's injured, I mean, Tavon Young, I think a couple of years ago, signed like a three-year extension worth $30 million. Right around that, I think it might have been like Nine, eight or nine million was the average annual value. And this is going back three to four years when the Bears were possibly looking to re up Bryce Callahan, but then Young got one of the big extensions. But what matters about Tavon Young is this is that can he get his career back on track? Yeah. Are the Ravens been one of the best teams in the NFL when it comes to drafting those mid round defensive backs and developing them and just having such little turnover at that position? Absolutely. But I think something has to be said for all this. And what has to be said is that Tavon Young has had back injuries, knee injuries, and neck injuries. And the knee and neck injuries, I think those significantly have hampered just his ability to continue to play this game at a high level. His 2021 season was okay. It wasn't necessarily anything great because of some of the injuries that he dealt with. But ultimately, when you look at Tavon Young, you know, I think it was like a one-year, $1.3 million deal with $650,000 guaranteed. So when we talk about a guy like a Tavon Young, who, again, is relatively young by NFL standards, he's only 28 years old, I genuinely have questions that exist. You know, because, yeah, he did play more in 2021, but then it's like 2020, he had the torn ACL following the week three or four. Yeah, following like week three or four. And then in 2019, when he signed that like three-year, $30 million deal, he also had the big neck injury that just cost him the entire season. And then he's also had a torn ACL in 2017. So the point is, is Young's a guy who when healthy is great, but when not healthy, he's pretty much of zero value. And I genuinely think this, that Tavon Young was only brought in here because of Ian Cunningham, number one, and number two, to see if he could legitimately be a camp body and see if he's still got anything left in the tank at all to legitimately compete. What do you guys think? I was going to let you go first, Sam, because I keep going first. But um, I think he could be an immediate starter. I mean, I think if he stays healthy, he's an immediate starter. And at the very least, he's pushing these three younger, smaller corners the Bears already have in-house that could also potentially move to the slot. So 
I think at the very least, like you said, he's a camp body that brings in competition and brings in a veteran presence to this team. I think his ceiling is a long-term nickel starter, given obviously he stays healthy. Um, also, I want to address, uh, we didn't bring up Jesper Horstead because these guys mean nothing to him. He's the GOAT. Why would two guys who have never accumulated more than 400 yards in a season basically even touch the GOAT? No chance. Yeah, you know, no big deal. Three, three touchdowns, uh, three touchdowns and ten career receptions. No big deal. Um, subtle flex. Incredible uh, numbers. Incredible, absolutely efficient. Um, the only other thing I'll really kind of add to any of this is it's all very cheap signings. Very, in, I think Tavon Young's deal is very incentive based, based on his health, which is incredible. That that's the thing. If Tavon Young doesn't work out this year, his contract is is very, very, very cheap and very solid in terms of the Bears cap hit. And that's been a theme this offseason is Ryan Poles hasn't really thrown a lot of money at a lot of positional guys and is still signing young, productive, not outstanding players, but solid depth pieces for the most part and guys who I think are going to contribute right away. He's found a few starters in the offense and defensive line as well as bringing some guys back as well, obviously including the GOAT, Jesper Horstead. Um, so again, I, I'm, I'm the reason why I'm optimistic about the signings is not so much the talent, but more so the price tag. I, I mean, we're bringing in productive guys for very, very solid value. And, and that's a good thing. And I'm, I'm pleased to see that. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of things to see and keep an eye on here at Fireside Bears. Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, guys, make sure that you are rating the podcast five stars leave a great review on whatever podcasting platform you listen to the weekly show on make sure you're checking out youtube guys we've got a cornerback preview for the nfl draft dropping we got a sleepers and overhype video dropping as well detailing some names that are sleepers as well as overhype picks thanks to joe and max smith we've also got a wide receiver positional preview up there along with an online positional preview make sure you're following fireside bears on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at fireside bears make sure you're following myself sam and joe on twitter at usaid culture at chai sports sam and at joseph Herf nfl it's been a pleasure being your host this week got about two to three weeks to go till the nfl draft so we're gonna have a lot more content for you including a mock draft but for now guys good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you may be it's been a pleasure spending time with you this week but until next week guys stay safe stay cool and bear down